the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 271 premium for uh, Wednesday, June 30th, 2010. Ah! Greetings, folks, and welcome to Wednesday. Yes, it's Wednesday, John. And thanks for subscribing to our premium show. We uh, are our premium subscription. We very much appreciate that. How you doing, John? Fantastic. Lantastic, like we used to say back in the uh, in the 90s, right? I didn't say that. You didn't? I'm not going to talk about the great weather where it's 70-something degrees and 40% humidity. It's perfect. One of these days <laughs> that you like... Where New England is 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 cool. Yeah, right. yeah. But we're not absolutely. going to talk about that. No, but you know, I did want to talk about troubleshooting my printer uh, simply because it it honors the troubleshooting process, which was something that I had not been doing with this particular problem for a while. So uh, I, I, I want to share this anecdote because hopefully, in a in a very general sense, might help one or two of you specifically, but in a general sense, it uh, hopefully will help a lot of. The, uh, of, of our listeners mm, and perhaps even printer. You, what printer would this be dave so my hp 3055 which is a laser jet all-in-one uh fax scanner copier printer right mm-hmm. black and white laser printer that does all that other great stuff and it has it, you uh, we talked about it in a couple of shows i mentioned it anecdotally about when we were talking about another user that had a or a listener that had a xerox printer that they couldn't get to work with snow leopard and i said yeah yeah, yeah i'm having the same problem with mine so the HP has not released Snow Leopard drivers for this yet. Um, it took them a while to release Leopard drivers for it, even though the printer came out right before Leopard did. Uh, but it took them a while. And, and so you had to sort of jury rig the drivers with the Tiger drivers with Leopard to get it to work. And then the Leopard drivers came out and it was fine. And there have been reports of needing to jury rig this, the Leopard drivers to make it work with Snow Leopard. I hadn't really had any problems and I was I was OK with that. And then 1063 came out. And it was after 1063 came out that I realized I couldn't scan anymore. It would act like it was going to scan, uh, but it wouldn't scan. But, you know, the printer would still copy and everything. So I knew that, you know, I just assumed, OK, well, all those issues that people said they were having with Snow Leopard in this here. Here I am. I'm, I'm now one of those people. And so I left it at that. And every now and then I would try. And if I had a free moment, I'd reinstall the printer software and see what would happen. And then it sort of hit me the other day, yesterday. I thought, you know, I got to get something scanned. Why don't I, uh, you know, run Parallels or, or VMware or something to, hmm. uh, right, to do it in Windows? Because the Windows software has been up to date. And, you know, so, you know, I, I got to get this thing scanned. So let me, let me try that. So I did that. And I started it up. And, you know, Parallels and VMware are sort of their own little beasts. So it, it's not... It's not like running boot camp or or even better, just running a straight Windows machine where you know that it's seeing all the hardware in the network. But I figured it should be fine. And so no, I started. Was, Go ahead. Uh, I just want to ask, though. Yeah. I mean, my experience with the uh, VMs is that uh, now was this connected by USB or via no, um, it's, it's Ethernet? Ethernet. And and to be clear, I always set up uh, for the virtual machines that I run with either. And I was using VMware yesterday. Uh, but either VMware or Parallels, the ones that I set up using that, I always set up in uh, whatever whatever native network mode is. So it's not it's not sharing my Mac's Ethernet connection and doing yet another level of routing inside the software. Mm-hmm. 
it gets an IP. I always make sure the virtual machine gets an IP address on my network that's on the same subnet as my Macs, so it's an equal participant in uh, in the network. So there's no funkiness there. Okay, because right? I've had uh, I found that network support is a lot better than USB support because typically yes. these things are, do not that they have like a virtual USB driver and sure. it, you know, and I think we we actually had an issue also where Bonjour, where, where the preference would be as you did, rather than bridging or or doing NAT, yeah. is to is to give it its own IP address because you're uh, because I, I remember we talked about this before is that right. Bonjour uh, in a in a VM has problems if you try to use the same if you try to do um Sharing. if you're not getting your own IP address right so uh, right. But go on I, but I, I thought it'd be worth mentioning this because no. I've been through that my my laser which is networked works great if uh, if I you know g- give the VM its own IP address so sure go on so you know so I, I downloaded the 360 megabyte you know software install for the printer because I wanted the <laughs> scanner software and all that crap right so I download that I go through the installation process it installs it reboots a couple of times during the process, etc. But it definitely sees the printer. I can tell because it, you know, when they, when you first initialize the printer from any computer, you have to kind of plug in what its fax number is and some details. And I see those details populated on my Windows, you know, installation. So there's no way those could have magically gotten there. It's definitely talking to the printer. Okay, great. And I do a test page and it prints. Okay, good. Now I run the scan software. And it says, yep, I see it as a scanner and I go to scan and it comes up and it says, no, I can't scan because something else, some other device uh, is talking to the scanner. I'm like, OK, hmm. huh? All right, fine. You know, so now I'm like, well, is it my Mac? And then it hit me. It's like, wait a minute. You know, I've turned this certainly turned this on and off plenty of times um, in hopes of resurrecting its scanning functionality on the Mac. But the one thing I hadn't done was. A um, a factory defaults reset. I'd even updated the firmware on it in hopes that that would fix it, but yet hadn't done a factory default. So I walked over to the office here and I went to the front of the printer and I changed it. You know, I went in and said factory defaults. Fine. Then I ran the printer setup assistant this time on my Mac, uh, you know, went back through all that, named it, gave it its fax number, yada, yada, yada. Boom. It scanned just fine. So the problem low these many months has been that the printer simply got its own settings corrupted and needed to be wiped clean. But were it not for testing it on the Windows side, I never would have thought, oh, yeah, of course, that's the problem. Uh, you know, I just assumed the error was a Snow Leopard HP, you know, incompatibility thing when in fact, no, uh, it was just that the device itself needed a good, uh, you know, a good, a good shake in the boots, if you will. I don't know what that phrase means, but it sounds good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, hey, always honor the troubleshooting process and don't just assume you know where the problem is. To me, it like, sounds like when in doubt reset is. Um... Yeah, but I, you know, I'd reset the computer. I'd, I'd turn the printer on and off. One would assume that would, you know, how in the world Mm. Is does resetting there's no settings on the printer for the scanner, right? I have no, you know, the printer's got a kind of a, a, a very crude memory uh, menu system that you can access from the front panel. And I can set, you know, how many rings does an answer on the fax and how dark are the copies and blah, blah, blah. All, you know, all that stuff. There's not a single setting in there that even has anything to do with the scanner. So it just never occurred to me that, oh, hey, you know, factory refet- reset the settings because everything else works. It's just the scanner. But sure, that'll fix it. Sure enough, that fixed it. Nice. Yeah, good. So we have. Uh, so now that we've got that out of the way, uh, 
lots of questions and tips that uh, that came in from you over the last uh, couple of weeks. Let's 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 reverse the order here, John. Let's start with uh, with tips, shall we? We shall. Okay. So Jim writes, uh, and and strangely enough, we have no audio comments in today's show. And of course, today's the day that I seem to be getting my uh, semi annual summer cold. So uh, so I get to just read all these questions all day, which is great. Uh, Jim writes, and I'm happy to do it for all of you. Just been listening to Mac Geek Gab 268, and John described how he managed to restore files from slash user from Time Machine. Here's a quick tip that would have saved a couple of steps. From the, fi- the finders go, go to folder menu command has the keyboard equivalent of shift Apple G. If you hit this same key combo when any standard open save dialog has focus in any application, the same go to folder sheet that you get in the finder will slide out of the dialog and you can type in any location. So this is actually pretty cool. And, and I couldn't find it documented anywhere, uh, but, uh, but it definitely nope. works. And I tried it on a machine that does not have default folder installed just to make sure that it wasn't some magic of default folders since so many of us seem to rely on that anyway. But uh, but yeah, sure enough, command shift G mm-hmm. pops that little thing up. You can type the location and boom, it brings the open save dialogue right there, which is really cool. Likewise, I verified that, too. So that's uh, that's a, a yeah, I looked in the keyboard shortcuts and it was not uh, listed anywhere there. Just. Yeah, so that that's about it. So, yeah, that would have saved me a couple of keystrokes. Um I can think of times in the past when this would have been hugely valuable, especially with, with a piece of software like BB Edit or something where I want to go and find a file that's not necessarily part of the, the tree that I'm shown. Very, very handy. So, mm-hmm. cool. Uh, Greg, along, the, along those same keyboard shortcuts line, writes, As you can see from the screenshots that I sent, which, of course, you can't, but we'll describe it. I programmed some keyboard shortcuts for shutdown, restart, and sleep. And the way Greg did this, he programmed uh, commands or control space for sleep, control R for restart, and uh, control O for shutdown. Uh, the way he did this was he went into system preferences, keyboard, and then on the keyboard shortcuts tab, uh, he did in the Finder app, he did he added these keyboard shortcuts. So you, you go, you, uh, you find the application that you want to add a keyboard shortcut to, and then you hit the plus sign and then you start adding them, right? You name the menu item and the keyboard shortcut, and it will add them there. Now I'm curious if doing that, adding that to the finder, does that then add it to all apps? Because no, no. Well, no, first uh, to clarify, so what you want to do is when you're in keyboard shortcuts on the left, you will see a, a number of options. The one that he clicked on, and it's actually broken in half in the in the notes that I have in front of me here. You want to you want to first click on application shortcuts. Thank you. And then when you do that, you'll see on the window on the right the plus and the minus. Now, if you hit a plus, that's going to add a new one. And what happens is when you when you click on the plus, you will then have an option to select the application, and you'll basically get a list of every application on your machine and at least on uh, when I tried this, the first one that was listed was Finder. When when it lists this in the window, it lists as Finder app. Of course. So uh, so this at least this one is specific to just Finder. Well, my guess is though you could add this for all applications since the sure. sleep restart and shutdown are available in all apps. So you could 
hit that plus sign. Leave it as all applications. And then let me let me uh, let me see if this works for him here. So we'll do shutdown and we'll do uh, control O, even though I don't really like that. But uh, but let's see. I what think he did a zero. It looks like a zero. Maybe, maybe. So I definitely have it in the Finder. Let me see. Do I have it? Yep, I have it in all my apps. What's interesting hmm. though is uh, I've now added another command, right? Because shutdown is usually shutdown dot 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 with the three ellipses. And uh, interestingly hmm. enough, by choosing shutdown without it, um, it. Uh, or by writing shutdown without the three ellipses, it actually adds a command to the Apple menu, which is an interesting little, uh, little quirk. So that would, if I were to hit control O right now, this podcast would be over because it would shut down without the, uh, the ellipses. And that means there's no dialogue, no confirmation. And yeah. down she goes. Yeah, so I, do I, I remove that. Yeah. I cannot do that. <laughs> Uh, but cool. That's great, Greg. I, you know, that's, uh, that's one of those things that, that you tend to, or at least I tend to forget about. So that's cool. All right. So on to, uh, questions that come along with tips. Scott writes, I have what should be a quick question, but I've been looking and haven't found an answer on my own. I'm going on a long vacation and have a potential problem with iTunes and podcasts. I have a few podcasts, which I subscribe to, but only listen to when I have time. I've noticed that iTunes will occasionally stop downloading them and put up an exclamation point icon. When I click on this icon, it will tell me that I haven't been viewing or listening to this in a while and then ask me if I want to continue the downloads. This is fine in most cases. However, some of the NPR podcasts will disappear after a day if I don't download them. Do you know of a way to force iTunes to continue to download podcasts while I'm on vacation for four weeks? Okay, so there's a couple of options here. Um... The first is is uh, something I use called Doug's Apple Scripts. Uh, it's a it's a website, and there's a script there called Update Expired Podcasts, and it's currently at version 2.0. We'll put a link in the show notes. When you install this, it adds uh, it adds a script menu to iTunes if you don't have one already, and then in that menu, it adds Update Expired Podcasts. And when you choose this, it runs through all your podcasts. And essentially gets rid of that exclamation point and and restores them to syncing. What what what's happening here is that iTunes monitors what you listen to, uh, and then they the, it not they there's no people involved. Uh, it decides if you haven't listened to X number of episodes, and I think it's three, uh, then it it stops updating and stops downloading for that podcast. So. Well, I thought be, it was a time. Uh, I maybe thought it, it was a time period. Maybe I, it, I, uh, from yeah. what I saw, I, I did a little digging too, and I came to the same conclusion: is that the only way to fix this is that script. But I believe the delta is two weeks. If if, if okay. iTunes doesn't see you do anything with a podcast, like yeah, listen to it for two weeks, it's going to assume that you're bored with it and you don't want to listen anymore. It's, yeah, it's going to put up those. And I, I I saw plenty of forms and pages and people just shaking their fist at Apple, saying, "Can't you give? Please give me a way." to undo this behavior. And, and as far as I found, there is no way through iTunes to do this. Correct. So the only way is what you found, Dave. Right now. Now this, this only uh, is half the solution here for Scott because Scott needs this script to run automatically. And I believe, and, and that won't happen in iTunes. This is a manually run script that said, you might be able to use a piece of software called chronics, uh, which ties into the Unix cron uh, demon which is a little thing that runs and schedules various events uh, and chronics will, will allow you to man manage that, that, uh, that, that demon from a, a graphical user interface from a GUI. 
So that that in theory should work, although you're relying on a lot of things to kind of sync up together. Uh, what I would do, John, mm-hmm. is I would run Net Newswire, uh, which is an RSS feed reader, uh, feed aggregator, and you can add podcasts to it. Remember, before iTunes supported podcasts, we all had to have different ways of slurping these things in. And I use Net Newswire, and it's still out there. And you can tell it to download the attachments, which is what the podcast is, from any given feed. And you can customize it feed by feed automatically. Uh, and you can even tell it to add them to iTunes. So what I would do is, to be safe, I'd just run Net Newswire, feed it all your podcasts, uh, and mm-hmm. then and then just let it automatically download. Tell it to update once an hour. Heck, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You're not there. You don't need the bandwidth. And uh, that way it's just slurping the stuff down as soon as it comes out. Right. And here's the other thing that I would do, Dave. Yep. Go. Um, first, I think iTunes, um, most people recognize that Apple really hasn't done a heck of a lot with iTunes in a while. Yeah. Um, I would go to the iTunes menu. Um, there's a choice, provide iTunes feedback. Yeah. And just send a note to Apple saying. Send a note to the on. black hole, you mean? I, I assume somebody reads these. Yeah, I mean, they probably do. They probably do. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've had this happen often, Dave, and, and it just aggravates me where, where something comes up and it's like, look, if I'm signed up to it, kind of assume that even if I don't listen to it, kind of do what I tell you, which is, and you know, there are other settings. I mean, we've seen this, uh, what is this software? Castaway used to provide a pretty fine-grained level of control that I think iTunes, for the most part, except for this, will deal with properly and that, you know, I want to maintain, you know, five episodes, 10 episodes. If you look now, when you click on a podcast that when you're signed up to it, there'll be a settings button and it'll let you either do default behavior or somewhat customize it. But this behavior, as far as I can see, is not customizable, is that you're always going to have this two week expiration where it assumes if you don't listen to it, you're not interested. And I I think that's a poor assumption. Yeah, I, I mean, I get why you might want something like this. But but certainly you you also want to be able to customize. I agree. I agree. All right. I mean, it's I mean, it's not I mean, maybe they're concerned that well, well maybe they're well, Apple knows best. You know, they're, they're well, like, hey, if you don't listen to it for a couple of weeks then you're probably not interested, maybe that's then, a valid assumption. Then we've defined that we're not assuming we know you're not interested anymore. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, but All that right. that 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 Doug's Apple scripts thing is cool because, I you know, I'm in the same boat uh, and I've been using this for a while. Where if I, you know, a lot of my podcast, you know, I have those podcasts, a couple of podcasts that I listen to religiously, no matter what. But then there's a bunch that I just like to have access to. Perhaps I've got, you know, a long drive home from a gig or to a gig or whatever, alone time in the car. And it's like, oh, if only I had this now, you know, with the iPhone, I can download it over 3G. But then I got to plug my iPhone into the car instead of the iPod that's already there, et cetera, et cetera. So what I, you know, I wind up using this because, uh, you know, if I don't gig for a while, then I'm not listening to those kind of podcasts. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, I use this as an easy way to go through and just bam, you know, refresh them all. Go get everything I want, and then I'll sync it out to my iPod, and I'm good to go. So, yeah, it's a handy thing. Um, definitely. Definitely. I'm like you. I, I have some that I pretty much only listen to when I'm traveling. And actually, point points out, like some of the NPR ones, normally I listen to them on the radio. Right. But I still, if, if you know, if I'm going to travel, I, I'd still like to have the latest, you know, five or whatever, which is how I set it up. And I'd still like to have those go right. into my device and not find out, oh, man, you know, it thought that I wasn't interested. Yeah, I missed in the ball. There. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, moving on to Mark. As long as I can find his question in here, which I can. 
Eureka. Mark says, I recently purchased a pristine three-year-old MacBook Pro from a friend. Everything's working just great, but I'm noticing a little confusion as to how much RAM is actually in this machine or how much it's seeing and using. The about this Mac pain uh, and the system profilers seem to think there are four gigabytes inside, while activity monitor and menu meters both report three gigabytes. And he sent some screenshots to confirm this, and that's exactly what it shows. Mark says, I'm not wild about the idea of opening it up and looking inside, and I'm not sure what that would tell me anyway. Any thoughts, suggestions about how to know how much RAM is really in my computer or to access the missing gigabyte? John, you want to take this one? I think you and I both came to the same conclusion on this. I'm going to take this one. Go. So um, uh, what I found, now, first off, they're not paying me to say this stuff. So they'd like to and maybe throw a couple of bucks or some memory chips your way, Dave. Um, but I went to uh, OWC or, you know, MaxSales.com. And now he said this machine is about three years old. And so what I did is I went to their site and, you know, I've, I've, as of late, I've gotten all my memory from them because they do a great amount of research in figuring out what is the reality with these machines as far as how much RAM is, as as some of you may recall, I have six gigs in my early two, I think it's an early 2007, same one you have Dave, early uh, 2007 uh, MacBook Pro. And even though Apple says four gigs, uh, OWC said, now nah, you can really do six. And yes, I can do six. Yeah, those guys, those guys have their own lab out there in uh, in Illinois. And uh, and they do they do a lot of research. There. They know what they're doing. They're not just a, a, you know, a reseller of parts that they get somewhere else. I mean, certainly they do some of that. But uh, but even with those parts, they run them through the lab and they really do understand what's going on. It They are, right. a, as John you know pointed out, kind of to crystallize that. For things like this, especially with regards to RAM and what works and doesn't work in your Mac, OWC is a fantastic resource. Uh, I, you know, I don't I don't even think of in that sense. I don't think of them as a company that's going to try and sell me something, even though they they do and happily will. Uh, but, you know, they, they are a, a, a resource, a place to go to get that information so, mm. for sure. So go ahead. Enough. Uh, enough so the one thing. Thing. So the one thing you want to do before you go to these guys is to identify now the um, now Mark did not identify specifically his machine, but I found a note on their site, um, which led me to believe that this is the machine. And here was okay. the note that they had. So under MacBook, so I looked under MacBook and they list different levels of MacBook and how much RAM it can handle, but they had a little caveat for this machine. So this machine, I'm going to guess, is a MacBook Core 2 Duo, either 1.83 gigahertz or 2.16 gigahertz, either a late 2006 or I'm going to guess a mid 2007 because he said it was about three years old. And their note says these models are able to accept a matched pair of two gigabyte modules for four gigabyte total, but only fully utilize the first three gigabytes of installed memory, which sounds to me like exactly what he's running into. But then they have another note here, which I think is great. Yep. Um, Even so, even with these systems, there is some benefit to having a matched pair of four gigabytes installed. And they even have a benchmark showing this. And, and the reason for that is that in a lot of Macs, if you have a matched pair in that if, if, if the machine has two RAM slots and you have the same exact same type of RAM chip in both slots, you will realize typically a 5% or so increase in performance versus if you had uh, two different sized or, or differently configured chips. So Got it. it sounds like he has the best configuration. And even though, as we know, Mac OS X can access way more you know even though the, you know in some cases some considered a 32 gigabyte operating system it could i'm sorry 32 bit it can access way more ram than that so this is i think just a limitation 
Um, we talked about it when it came out. I, I think it's a limitation of the memory controller in there. There was some mm-hmm. bug or something that, that if it tried to address more than three gigabytes, you know, all heck would break, break loose. So I think Apple limited, you know, artificially limited it to only addressing those three. And that's why the machine will know that it has more, but it can't it's not it, it can't use it. All right, let's move on to uh, to Jason here with a, a topic that comes up pretty regularly, uh, you know, maybe once a couple times a year, probably, but uh, very worth revisiting because it's always good. Jason writes, after listening to you for many years and even making it to your Macworld 2009 public session, this is my first question. I remember hearing you both talk about different ways of buying Apple Care in the past. Since Apple Care is like insurance, it's possible for some businesses to buy bulk packages of Apple Care and then sell it for a significant discount. I think it was about two years ago when you mentioned various online stores, and even though I bookmarked these sites, I can't find them. Online searches are coming up empty as well. Do you still know of any good places to buy AppleCare with some discount? I'm in the market for three boxes, all for MacBook Pros, the more expensive version, of course. So any savings would be great, beside Apple's uh, $350. My one-year warranty expires in a few weeks. All right. So I have three places that I look and John, I think you have a couple other places. Mm-hmm. The three are, and we'll put all these links in the show notes. Of course, small dog. Uh, they are consistently, uh, one of the lower priced Apple cares, uh, LA computer company is a place where I've wound up buying. I think I have Apple care on my current machine from LA computer. And then, uh, Amazon, is is another one where you can get it for discounts. Now, it's important to note a couple of things about at least these three places and really anywhere. Uh, they don't always all have availability for Apple Care for everything. When you're buying from one of these places, you're you're actually buying a boxed Apple Care product. Really what it is, it's a box. It's got Tech Tool Pro, I think in there, or Tech Tool Deluxe, I can't remember which one. Uh, and then a sheet of paper that's uh, that's got a little code on it. You take that code, you go to a a site at or a page at Apple apple.com and you plug in your serial number and that code and then that magically adds apple care to your mac now here's the thing uh if you go and buy it from apple uh for presumably full price though john you're going to talk about how that might not be necessary but uh, but if you go and buy it from apple you can register that day so if your warranty let's say your warranty expires two days from now uh you could go and buy it from Apple and boom, it's registered immediately. There's no questions, no issues. It works. If I order it from, say, Small Dog today and it doesn't get here until three days from now, well, mm. I'm still technically covered because I've been in this situation before. And what you have to do is when you go online to do it, it'll say, oh, no, wait a minute, your warranty's expired. So uh, you can't do Apple Care. But you can call them up. And then what they'll have you do is fax in a copy of your order receipt from Apple, from, you know, small dog or wherever you've purchased it, purchased it from to prove that you ordered it before your warranty expired. And as long as you do that and they're not crazy, you know, uh, about the process that you know, they'll take a Xerox or a scan of a receipt or whatever you want. I think I've even emailed in a scan for uh, mm-hmm. and, and it works just fine. But it, it's you know, it's a, you got to go through an extra song and dance to make that happen. So couple of options. One is if you're right at the end, it may be worth the premium of buying it direct from Apple. But number two is just don't let it get to the end and then you're all right. 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 Um, so the other thing I'll mention. Of, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I got a bunch of things. So, so number one, one thing that I would recommend is that when you get any piece of Apple equipment, they typically try to pride you into registering your product. 
And sometimes they'll be able to grab the serial number off of it, and sometimes you may have to provide it manually. It's usually, you know, like with iPods and stuff like that. Sure. Um, if you do that, that it can only help your case. If, if you, you know, are getting down to the wire, as they've mentioned, and uh, if Apple is already aware of the product, the reason I mention this is, for example, I have an old one of the um, white, I mean, I think it was like a 2G or 3G iPod with the hard drive, you know, totally white with the, uh, you know, it was a monochrome display. And it started freaking out on me, and I'm like, you know what? I wonder what my options are to to get this repaired. Because I was a good person, or at least I think that makes me a good person, or it certainly can't hurt, I registered that product. They actually had it on file. They're like, yeah, can you enter the serial number of your iPod, whatever it was? I think it was called iPod um, Touch Wheel or something. What was the name of it? Okay. They had it on file. And they basically said, here are your options. You can talk to someone, click this button, and we'll let you talk to someone at Apple. You can send it into a, or we'll recommend a repair shop. Now, of course, this thing is ancient, so yeah. it, it wouldn't even be worth fixing it. I mean, maybe as, a, as an exercise for me to just see if I can fix it. I mean, I'm almost positive the hard drive is shot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what happened is I'd, I'd start playing songs, and basically any song I played after 30 seconds, the thing would reset. So it was either the memory controller, I suspect, or the hard drive. But anyways, they knew about it because I registered it when I bought it. So, so advice to everybody, when you get your Apple product, you know, even when you register it, you, you can uncheck the box and they won't spam you if you consider it spam. Right. But just have that serial number on file with Apple because it can only help you if you're in a situation like this. Now, number two, there are ways to get a discount through Apple. You may be surprised at this, Dave, or I, I was if you're listening. I was surprised this, yeah. Well, check this out. Well, normally, if you go through the normal Apple store, you're not going to get a discount for, for the MacBook Pro 15 and 17 inch. And they actually segregate these. So the MacBook 13 inch or MacBook, MacBook Pro right. 13 inch costs less. But but this machine, um, Jason said, I, I, I think is a well, he says a bigger one. So it's either right. 15 or 17 inch. The normal price of Apple Care for that is $349, as he pointed out. Now, there are two ways to get a discount. One if you work for a big company, you can get a slight discount. And the way, the way you can find that out, either check with your company and say, do we have an employee purchase program with Apple? Or here's the secret, and I don't tell anybody, yeah, it's right, between, it's us, between us, is www.apple.com slash EPP store, EPP being employee purchase program, then a slash, and then the name of your company. And you can, you can get there for just by going to the Apple store and clicking on for business, I think, and then, and then typing your I, company's name in. Oh, okay. I, I didn't find that. I, I found if I just clicked on for business, it would give me the same prices. Oh. So I don't know if that's really? a path to get here. But anyways, EPP store, and then put the name of a company. Now, one thing you could do if you have a lot of time to kill is just insert the name of any company and see if they have a purchase program. Uh, Microsoft, uh, lots of companies do. Now, just keep in mind, I'm, I'm just going to say I don't know how rigorously Apple verifies that you actually work for a company. Sure. When you, before you log in, they will say, you know, you better really be working for this company before you claim to be entitled to a discount. So uh, I don't know if they're going to send the Apple cops or whatever, but, it, you know, come on. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to leave it to the listener to decide how, how to proceed on this. Of course. But uh, if you if work you, for a big company, that's a that's an easy way of finding out if you uh, if you are eligible for this. Absolutely. And what I found here is the price for Apple Care for a 15 or 17 inch MacBook Pro is three hundred seven dollars. OK, so, so that's you're a, saving that's, that's, yeah, forty three bucks or forty two bucks. That's a pretty good discount. Now, here's a better one because, you know, Apple wants to get you early. You know, it's kind of like drugs. You know, the first one, though. No. 
Well, no, it's always been Apple's strategy to try to enter the education market. And the thing is, you can also go to the Apple Store, and then if you go to the Apple Store, you will see on the left side of your screen the Education Store. Right. Now, if you go to the Education Store, now I just took, um, and this may not be typical, maybe it is, but I went and it'll ask for your zip code, and so I typed in my zip code. They have two classifications. I think it's higher education and, uh, you know, not higher education, you know, right. high school or middle school. And they said, type in your zip code. So I typed in my zip code, higher education. As, as it turns out, um, there are two universities uh, in the town that I live in, and it listed one of them. I'm not quite sure why it didn't list the other. So I clicked on a surprise, Fairfield University, and then went to the Apple Care section and check this out, Dave. So I clicked on Apple Care for 15 and 17 inch. Yeah. $239. Whoa. That's. That uh, I thought I made a mistake. I tried it again. Two hundred thirty nine dollars. Two thirty nine. Okay, so Apple's three forty nine in the regular store. L A Computer two ninety five for that one. Uh, I'm looking right. at Small Dog here uh, just to just to check some prices. Small Dog is uh, two eighty nine. So okay, a little bit better. Yep. Uh, Amazon I've got coming up real quick here. Amazon's two ninety four. Okay, so they're all in that. You know, two ninety to three hundred range. Yeah, and now Apple takes another sixty bucks off of that. Whoa! Now I'm I'm gonna almost uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I didn't look in detail to see exactly how they verify that you actually attend this university. Uh, I I might have some some secondhand knowledge on on that particular. Excellent, because you're in a college job. town too, right? Sure, and we're all students of life, aren't we? Um, but uh, <laughs> maybe not UNH, but of life, of sure. life in general. But they don't have that school, so pick the one you know the closest approximate uh, one to you. But uh, but yeah, they don't check. That's that's all I have to say on that matter. All right. Well, I, I guess it depends on you know karma or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you, if you're comfortable with doing this, I mean, again, right. I think legally you agree that you you yeah. state that you attend the university. You definitely do. Yep. But they don't check. So, you know, if you, you know, let's say you've um, and, and here's probably why they don't they don't check. But let's say you've applied to the school and you've gotten accepted. But it's you know, it's June. You don't have a student ID yet. You don't have you know, how are they going to know? They don't know. So they just they trust you. And that's that. So. Well, I'm going to say they may trust you at the point of purchase, Dave. I'm just going to speculate here. And actually, uh, again, uh, I know we have our Apple moles out there. Oh, yeah. Some of you could could, you know, enlighten us here. But I'm curious if if you actually try to file an Apple Care claim, they may be like, oh, by the way, could you either send us a transcript or a student ID? No. Okay. No, we we've uh, again secondhand knowledge, of course, but I've seen warranty work performed on on hardware purchased from the education store, and no questions have been asked. All right. Well, I'm I'm still going to err on the side of being ethical, and of and, course, and uh, and say that you shouldn't do this unless you attend a a uh, educational institution. That's right. Which could be the University of Life. <laughs> the University of Life. That's right. All right. Uh, so let's. So uh, I think we're done with this one, right? Right. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So Greg has a question, and and I like these kind of questions. We'll just we'll just let it go with that. So Greg writes, "I'm a Mac tech and own a small business." Since you have done this type of work that I do, and many of your listeners may have a Mac repair or consulting business, I thought this question to be appropriate. And I agree with you, Greg. This is it's a great question. And it's a little bit long. The question and the answer is going to be even longer. So but it's a good discussion. I usually do on-site work at their home or office as I do not have a storefront. 
I recently went over to a client's home the other day who has an Intel Mac mini. I did the usual diagnostics and updates on his computer and updated his mini to 10.6.4 after I did a time machine backup. The day after he called and told me his Apple Pro speakers were not working, but they are showing up as USB in the sound prefs. I told him to do several troubleshooting steps, but that did not fix the issue. He has the Apple Pro speakers, which are from the year 2002, I believe, and I think he must be using an iFire adapter by Griffin to get this to work with his system, as that's the only way I know he could use these speakers with this computer. I didn't check, but I'll bet he has the iFire. I know you guys will probably say to remove all USB connections and zap the PRAM, but zapping the PRAM didn't work for the guy in the Apple discussion link I found, so I feel I would rather diagnose and troubleshoot the problem in person. I looked online and found others had the same issue, and as you can see, uh, it was resolved by booting from an external disk in 10.6.3 and then going back to the internal boot drive. Here's my question. My client emailed me to tell me he didn't want to pay for me to come back as it was working before I came. I do have an external boot drive with 10.6.3 on it, so I can try to do it the way the guy fixed it in the discussion threads I found. I wanted to know what you guys have done in this situation, as I'm sure it's come up for you before. When we do updates, some hardware and software may not be compatible with the update, and that's just the way it is. But the clients don't understand this. They know only their work, computer work before I came. I feel like I should at least charge for an hour of my time and travel. Normally, I have a two-hour minimum plus travel. He's about a 30-minute drive away. I have a feeling he may not go for the charge, and I may lose him as a client if I try to charge him, but I'm willing to take that risk. Okay. Uh, so, and, and then he follows up by saying, if any feedback you mm -hmm. have from experience would be great. So I have, I actually have a ton of feedback and, and experience in, in this particular department. Uh, and, and it, it had become one of my favorite topics to discuss. Uh, in fact, I, I still talk about it, even though we're not in that business anymore. I talk about it with our sales reps mm -hmm. and really everybody here that, uh, you know, when, when I was in Austin, not only did I have my own consulting clients, but we, we grew it to a point where we managed uh, a bunch of people that were out in the field. It was kind of a pre-geek squad thing. The business was called Computer Nerds, and uh, it still exists today. I sold my interest in it, but, uh, but uh, it's, it's actually doing, doing very, very well. So, again, we were out in the field constantly doing this stuff. And there, there's a couple things to talk about here. Um, in a nutshell, this comes down to why 10.6.4 was installed, right? And was the customer involved in that decision? Even if the decision's based on your advice, uh, getting the customer to agree and want the upgrade is the key. Uh, when, and, 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 it, and this kind of goes a little bit deeper. When going to any consulting job, and really any job, uh, I always made it the priority of it being me and the customer versus their computer and its problems, as opposed mm -hmm. to the customer versus me and their computer. Uh, and and when, when training new employees, I always called it moving to their side of the desk, right? So when I get there, you know, before I walk in the door, it's your computer and your problems. That doesn't change just because I'm there. I'm there. Your computer didn't call me to help it, right? Mm -hmm. You called me to help with your computer. And, and it's important to maintain that, uh, that, that, um, that message in everything that happens, Right. You're the your help. You're the advocate. You, you were brought in as the expert, but it's up to the customer to make the, the, the critical decisions. Right. So they're paying you for your time and your expertise, but they get to do as they see fit. Now, I had this problem in a, you know, a couple of times where nerds, as we as we call them, would would go out and just change someone's computer to be the way they would want it to be. And if that's what the customer wants, that's great. But 
if you know what there there were always two steps to making any changes to a computer or three steps one figuring out what you thought you should do number two very very important step sitting down with the customer showing them what you found and what you think the right solution would be and why and then perhaps also saying but there might be a caveat here or there and then let the customer make the decision if they choose to follow your advice great if they choose not to that's okay too Right. They're, mm-hmm. they're not paying you for solutions. They're paying you for time and expertise. Very good. And, and, and I think I'm with you on that. So uh, so if this person had been uh, if the agreement was if there, uh, I will stop by and run diagnostics and apply any of the latest Mac software updates to your computer. And that's our agreement, which it sounds like that's what it was. Yeah. But then then to me, it, it to to I just want to interject a bit, but but yeah, to me no, that sounds ahead. like that sounds like the agreement. Yeah, is I'm going to stop by. I'm going to run you know whatever disk you know make sure your disk is okay. Yeah, you know whatever diagnostics and if there's a you know this is something I actually do with my parents, which I'm like the unofficial consultant. Is of anytime course. I stop by, <laughs> we all are right <laughs> for the mom. You know I'll I'll run um you know whatever I'll run software update. If there's anything new, I'll apply it. I don't really think about it. And I think I mentioned in the past, well, well, the thing is when I did the big upgrade from her old iBook to the new MacBook, I said, you know, there's going to be some software that is not going to work. And she was like, okay. Right. And I'm like, you may have to buy new software. And there were one or two pieces of software that she had to, and actually she had to, uh, I suggested buying a new airport because the other airport was so ancient. And and this kind of resonates with this situation where there was the, um, you know, there was the realization and, I brought it up beforehand saying not everything is going to work as it did in the past. I just want to make you aware of that. And, and now I don't know if, um, you yeah. know, if, if uh, this was explicitly stated and even if you explicitly state it, someone may feel cheated if something doesn't work. Now, now the only thing I can say here is that, I mean, dude, how old is the speaker system? I mean, 2002, I mean, I am amazed that it's worked this long. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're talking eight years, which for any piece of hardware, computer hardware, especially these kind of wacky Apple Pro speakers. Um, but just to lay it down here. I, I, I agree with you is that it, it should be time and not necessarily results. That's right. Well, yeah, because then you get in a whole world of pain because I don't think you can ever with all the variations and all the things Apple does and things they may inadvertently or, or intentionally break, you can never guarantee that there will be no repercussions. Now, maybe that should be something you, you indicate uh, off the bat. Say, here's a contract or here's just a, you know, here's, here's a little, you know, uh, here's what I'm going to tell you. If something breaks, I'm going to do the very best I can, as you said, Dave, to help uh, you and I will do our best to remedy the situation. That's right. But, but I'm with you is that it, it's you and I versus the computer and Apple and not, you know, right. don't make it, 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 it sounds like they've made it his problem. Correct. And and that's unfortunate because well, I, now he's in a position where he, he may lose a customer. And I think maybe he, well, well go on. I, I just want to interject in, in what I've run into. And mostly when I run into this and people ask me to help them, if something unexpected happens, they, you know, they know I didn't mean, I didn't mean for it to happen. And I'm going to work with them to do the best I can to solve the problem. That's right. You know, maybe it's involving spending a little extra time, maybe give them a discount. I, I don't know how he wants to handle it. But I was always on. very careful about giving discounts for unexpected problems uh, because I never, and, and I'm not, uh, I'm not going to say it never happened. It okay. sometimes did, but you know, the thing is it, there's, 
the, the whole the whole purpose is to have your expertise there. If if all you had to do was follow steps from A to B or A to Z or whatever they are to fix the problem, the customer could do that on their own. Now, they may choose not to. But but part of what they're paying you for is your expertise to deal with the unexpected problems and to, to make it work. But that's what okay. they're paying you for. Right. So but but, you know, and, and with nerds, we we did get to the point where we had a customer sign a contract before we ever touched their computer. And we had to. We had too many people out in the field every day. Uh, you know, there was too much liability. And that was fine. But it is sort of a tough sell to walk, you, you know, walk into someone's home and they are you know, you've just met them. And you're trying to build trust, and yet the first thing you're doing is making them sign their life away, saying they've backed up and they understand how the billing's going to work and all that. It very necessary in that, in an organization of that size. However, when I was out on my own before we did nerds and after, I never did that. But I knew I could trust myself going in that I was going to manage the customer relationship, and and if I felt like there was you know any miscommunication or lack of understanding on their part, I could just stop. But again, it was my risk to take. It wasn't, you know, someone else's risk on the company's back. So, uh, so I, I always chose not to do it that way, but I didn't, you know, I did form mm-hmm. an LLC so that in case heaven forbid, you know, I wiped out some company's data, they couldn't come take my house. Um, but that never happened, but, but it really is a, regardless of what that agreement says, if you get to the point where this guy is, where now it's a, you know, you're butting heads, even if he had the guy sign an agreement ahead of time saying, I swear, you know, on, uh, on all that is good and pure that I will never, ever blame, uh, Greg for any problems that happened to my computer. Even if I, I know that he caused them himself, right. Even if the guy signs that agreement, it, it doesn't matter. Right. You're all you're you're at now an impasse. Right. Where Greg feels like he's he's he needs to, you know, charge this guy. The guy feels like he doesn't want to pay. And 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 there's there's some headbutting going on now. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you're going to get a customer that's just like that. And if they are Mm -hmm. like that and you have the the option, I I recommend just walking away from them and not not being their Mm -hmm. their consultant anymore. That's what I did. And it rarely happened, but, but I would happily fire my customers if they weren't the kind of customers that I wanted to have. (laughs) Uh, No, seriously, there's nothing wrong with that in any business. You know, you don't need a customer that's going to drive you crazy. Now, in this case, we don't know enough about it. Maybe maybe the guys, you know, maybe he's not being uh, problematic about it, Uh, but, uh, and maybe he's being quite reasonable about it. it. It could be that Greg didn't spend the time to ensure that he'd cemented that, that concept of it being, you know, Greg's computer and Greg's problems, uh, sorry, the customer's computer and the customer's problems. And Greg is there to help the customer. Right. And, and that it's so important. And if you, if you don't do that upfront as a consultant, you're doomed. If you solve the problem, everything's hunky dory and you'll never know that there's any underlying, you know, issue there. But, uh, but if you don't solve the problem, man, that stuff comes right to the surface. And, you know, here's the thing. I would walk into somebody's home, and I might spend three or four hours working on their computer and not get the solution that they wanted. Right. Because simply because it wasn't possible. Right. You know, they, they'd say, well, here's what I want to work. And you try, you do everything you can. Look, we're not there. We're not going to get there. You know, you got to know when to kind of pull your head out of the weeds and say, mm-hmm. all right, hey, look, you know, I've been beaten on this for a couple of hours. I, I would always check in with the client if not every 15 minutes, every 30 minutes and give them an update. If it was some, you know, hairy problem, because it, that forced me to reevaluate the situation every, you know, on a regular basis. So I wasn't three hours in and then stopped and saying, gosh, I should have stopped two hours ago. 
So, you, you know, so, so you got to You got it. But it, but involving the client in that process is huge because that way they're right there along with you. And all the decisions that have been made have been theirs, not yours. You're just guiding them and advising them, but it's their decision in the end. Sure. I mean, in this case, I mean, Greg probably knows this, but, but in this case, you know, I, I, I think I try to communicate just saying, you know, I mean, this is an unsupported right. and they may not re, they may not understand what that means. They may expect that a, a company will, you know, as, as you know, with me, Dave, I expect things to last forever. That's they right. may expect that their Apple pro speakers from 2002 will last forever with every iteration of right. uh, likewise with the iFire adapter from Griffin. They're going to expect that, well, I bought it and it should work forever and ever and ever. And, and maybe he could put it in the context of saying, well, you know, I mean, that this happens as you, you know, get newer operating systems that things stop working. So, That's right. That's uh, but it could get to an unpleasant thing either. You know, I can roll you back to 10.6.3. Everything's going to work great. And then maybe we part ways. So I will put your system back to where it was. And then either we agree that, yeah, I, uh, I don't know, because that doesn't sound great either, because then, I mean, you know, there's a benefit certainly to upgrading 10.6.4 security and more features and stuff like that. So um, it's hard to explicitly plant the seed saying that, you know, if I do something, things may break and there's nothing I can do about it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Now, so to wrap up, uh, what, what, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. I, uh, maybe we should, I mean, we've been rambling a bit here yeah. I think, with some theoretical stuff here. I mean, I mean, if I'd ask you, Dave, well, what do you think he should, uh, how, I think I've given my recommendation. You could either say, you know, I'll back you back to 1063. Yeah, but, is he, work. but you haven't finished your recommendation. Is he charging for the time to roll him back to 1063 or no? Um, I would charge. Yes. Yeah. Uh, to me, the time is included. Yeah. If he if he'd like to just as a good gesture to maybe not charge for the full time involved. Yeah, if it's a you client, may want to consider that. Yeah, if it's a client worth keeping, uh, and many clients are, of course, because that's how we right. build our businesses. Then, yeah, what I might say to the guy is, hey, look, I took the time to do some research on my own for this. I'm not going to charge you for it no matter what uh, for mm-hmm. that research. But here's what I've found. And I think we got to boot from this other drive and do this. Now, you know, here's the thing. I got to come out there. I got to do this. Uh, I, you know, how about we agree that uh, we're going to split the, uh, the travel time. This process mm-hmm. should take on site. This process should take less than 15 minutes. So I'm going to charge you for the trip out, but not the trip back and no time. And, and the, you know, the first 15 minutes on site is on me in theory, this probably, you know, if, if all my research proves correct, this problem is solved after that. If it's not, then we can decide if you want me to continue working from there. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, define before you walk in the door, define exactly what this proposal, you know, propose and define exactly what this arrangement's going to be. And then that way, you know, it helps get you back. Like I said, back to the other side of the desk. It's me and you versus your computer. I think I've got an answer. What do you think about my answer? You know, that that sort of thing. Try and rope them back in because that can work. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, you're giving away a half hour of your time. It's not going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. All right. All right, but that's the wild and wacky world of uh, you know, it's cu- it's customer independent service. Consulting. Yeah, every business is the customer service business. So you 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 know you got to remember that, and you got to do that when you walk in the door. It, you know, it starts you and 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 in especially this business. Not only are you there solving their problem, you're selling yourself to them. Right, the moment you mm-hmm. walk in the door, the sales process continues. It's already happened because you've already got there, but but that process continues, and you got to keep that in mind too. So it's not just. You're not selling solutions, not even close. 
you know, that's the furthest thing from well, what you're selling. I'm with you. Yeah. I think I'm with you is that you, you want to put in the frame that, that this is for our time and expertise and bingo. And you, you can't possibly guarantee a hundred percent results. No way. All the time. It, it, it's it, even though it's a Mac, right? It's a computer. That's right. And you got hardware that, you know, is 10 years old. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's go on to, uh, so hopefully that helps, Greg, and hopefully in a general sense that uh, it's a good conversation to have. So let's move on to, uh, to Kirk. And uh, Kirk writes, when on battery power, it helps to disable the dashboard. I usually do this by issuing a terminal command to kill the dock. I was wondering if there is an Apple script or something that could issue this command automatically whenever the MacBook switched to battery power. Uh, so the, the command would be, I presume it's what I would do. Kill all space dock with a capital D. Uh, so you could write an Apple script or I think even an automator action to issue a terminal command that would do that. And that should work. But John, you've got an even better idea. Or, and this is something we brought up at our last show, I believe. But, um, uh, so, uh, uh, let me get Kirk's question up here. I'm somewhat organized here. Not as organized as you, Dave, which is why. You do what you do. Um, well, he was saying um, when a battery. Yeah, so he would like to make a distinction between running this when he's on battery power when plugged in. Right. Well, you know what can do this, Dave? Marco Polo. Polo. Yep, exactly. Marco Polo um, is a uh, shut up. <laughs> is a utility that that um, I have a actually used extensively, but for one I can read from looking at the documentation, one thing that it can do is detect when you're switching between uh, AC power being plugged into the wall and battery power. So I would suggest this is like a little hybrid solution, is that get Marco Polo, and then when... Stop. And then when it detects that there's been a switch to battery power, have it run an Apple script that will kill the dock. And actually, I guess there would be a compliment to that is that it could detect when you switch the other way and start it up again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, now of course. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Although, well, no, because it will. So when you kill the dock, you don't need to start it up again. Uh, chances are it, it. And I think the reason he kills the dock is because once you start the dock the first time, all those little dock widgets are constantly running their whatever it is in the background. Um, and some of them do more than others, of course. So, uh, but that doesn't happen until you launch the dock the first time. Uh, and it usually happens very quickly when you do, it's just that ongoing CPU usage of, of all those widgets can, you know, potentially cause an impact mm -hmm. to battery life. So yeah, you could start it back up again, but there's no, um, I, I'm not sure that that's going to help because even on this machine, I think it automatically starts itself, but it just doesn't start the widgets. Um, mm -hmm. I'm looking to see. Yeah, the dock's running on this machine, and I can guarantee you I haven't launched it. So it's always there, but, um, but the, you know, the widgets aren't active until after it's clicked on the first time. So, yeah, mm -hmm. so that would do it. That would do it. All right. All right. Time to go on to, uh, where, how are we doing on time here? Speaking of An hour. time. But we'll, we'll, All right. We'll, 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 we'll keep, we'll, let's keep going, man. Well, let's do uh, one more. Pick one. Pick one. Um, I'm going to do Brian. Okay. It's probably the most lengthy, but uh, but I think it has some good stuff. Yeah, it is a little lengthy. You know what? We've got another premium show to do next week. I think it would be good to save Brian's for next week. I think that's a that's a good one. 
Why did I, you ask me if you did? I don't answer? know because I'm thinking about this on the fly. That's how I roll. Yeah. All right, fine. We'll do. All right. Uh, no, no. What? Uh, now what? <laughs> or we could do Greg. We could do Brian or Greg. All right, let's know. do Greg. Okay. Uh, not the same Greg though, or not the same Greg question. I don't right? think so. No. Uh, what are we looking for here? <laughs> We're going to burn all our available time left this way. Uh, okay. Uh, Greg writes, I'm sure John was kidding about throwing his crazer in a landfill, but I wanted to tell you about earth 911com I actually found a place to recycle everything anywhere close to you. Hazardous sprays, VHS tapes, electronics, etc. Anywhere close to whatever zip code you put in and you can search from there. There's an app, too, as you can see from the screen cap. And he did. He sent a screen cap of an iPod Touch or iPhone app. Uh, I couldn't believe uh, I found a Verizon wireless 4G store that took my old VHS tapes. Also, to restart my Mac uh, sleep and shut down my keyboard shortcuts and system prefs is... Oh, he's the one that wrote in about the system prefs at the uh, beginning of the show. So that's a hmm. double uh, double deal from Greg. So thank you. Uh, so yeah, earth911.com for sure. That's that's great. Um it, you know, it, and I know this show is a, a free show. Of course, it's not sponsored, but it would be remiss if we didn't mention Gazelle, right, as a place to not just recycle your stuff, but if it's worth anything, they'll actually pay you for it. So that's, uh, you know, that's another option. And they're not the only ones. There's other companies out there like Gazelle that uh, that do that. So it's worth uh, worth mentioning. And some other things to, to mention. Yeah. Um, one thing I've noticed, Dave, and I believe Apple will still do this, is that if you buy a major piece of hardware from Apple, they will offer... So if you're upgrading a desktop or an iMac or, or whatever, I, I'm not sure how far it extends. We'll have to look on the site and, of course, put it in the meticulously crafted show notes that I generate <laughs> a day or two after the show. Yeah. Um, but Apple, um, I believe, will still accept hardware um, if you buy new hardware that they will recycle or I don't know what the heck they do with the old hardware. But then another thing, Dave, is, for example, the town that I live in is that the... Um, um, the dump, we'll call it the dump, though it's not just the dump. You know, they right. do a lot of things there, but they actually have an area and they actually have a little sign and that they will kind of bend the rules here, but they contract with someone. Um, and I actually have a picture of it. I, I'm actually looking at it here and they break down electronics into three classes. So they have um, group one and two, small electronic devices, cell phones, pagers, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. No charge. They have a special area when I go to the dump where if I have any small electronics, um, They'll take it, and they will, uh, I'm going to assume, dispose of it properly. Then they have another class, monitors up to 20-inch, PCs, TVs up to 20-inch, blah, 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 6 bucks, and then really big TVs and stuff, 12 bucks each. So check with your municipality and see if they, and I think a lot of them offer some sort. They may not do it directly. Like I think ours actually brings it to a place that's a, a, a couple towns away. Uh, who will then strip it down and take out all those metals and or whatever the heck they do with it. But check with your municipality first or yeah, as, as an option, they may charge you, they may not. Um, a lot of companies um, I know will also have uh, programs that'll let you do this. They will accept uh, things and then they'll ship them off or uh, Apple themselves or whatever company you buy something from. Typically uh, I know the U S is not as strict uh, as uh, I know in Europe, I, I think they actually have laws saying that basically a company is, for the most part, and you know this is certainly not business friendly, I guess, or yeah. <laughs> profit friendly. But uh, but I do believe they have laws in a lot of European countries that, that, that basically say, you know, if you make a device, then it's your responsibility to help your customer figure out how to get it back, uh, you know, without harming the environment and costing oh, a landfill. Yeah, right. 
Right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. My, my town will at the dump, they'll take uh small electronics. They'll just take larger electronics and pretty much any, any TVs or microwaves or, you know, that sort of thing. It's I think 10 bucks. You got to buy a sticker to put on it and then they'll take it from, uh, from there. And then, and then we've got somewhere else and I can't, I forget what, maybe it, it maybe it's, a, it's gotta be the same department, but it's a different location I go to if I want to drop off batteries and they'll, uh, they'll just take them, you know, and, and deal with them, which is great. You know? Yeah. You know, that disturbs me because I, I think the latest guidance I got from my town is that they, um, they say, just throw them in the trash. Well, for certain batteries, that's fine, but not, uh, not the big ones. But they, um, but but actually, uh, yeah. Because the thing is, I think at least uh, where I am, they will actually take our trash and they bring them to um, a city nearby, and they actually pretty much burn it all, and they generate electricity from it. Mm. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Huh. No, it's called like the. You know, uh, I forget the name of the the operation, but no, I've read about this, and they actually, uh, they, yeah. And I, I'm going to assume that they filter it so that you know the. You know, it's not blowing all that stuff in the air, but but we also have a, a yearly hazardous waste collection day where you where you pull up in your car. They don't allow walk-ins for whatever reason, but you pull up in your car. They make sure you're a Fairfield resident and uh, whatever you know, mystery liquids or stuff. Like I still have something when I bought the house, I have to bring by where it was just a jug of some liquid. I mean, it it doesn't. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and they they'll they'll take it, you know. So they take paints and you know, all this stuff here so, so it's a yearly thing where you basically give them all your stuff including batteries and um yeah like you did i have a container full of old you know shot batteries that i think i'll bring by next time right so right but i like is you know hey you know if you can get a few bucks for uh if, you can, if it's still operating then i think that that may be your best bet i think yeah for sure uh all right so, contact information. I know that if you're here and you're part of the premium show, thank you again, uh, We, uh, you know how to get in touch with us. But just in case, a uh, couple of email addresses. So, let's start with customer support at MacGeekGab.com. If you're ever having problems with your what? subscription, that is the email address to email it. It's not necessarily one that we will answer questions from on the show, but it goes to uh, it goes to Stephen Swift and whoever's helping us uh, with that stuff too. So customer support at MacGeekGab.com. If you're having any trouble with your subscription at all, uh, oh, okay. procedural questions about it, that's the address to use. Um, I didn't know about that. Why uh, didn't you tell me? Well, you just did. Uh, there you go. Hey. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Otherwise, Dave, if you have a question and you're listening to this, then I would say that you probably want to send an email to premium that's right special address just for premium subscribers premium at macgeekgab.com is what i believe you said mr Braun. no i said premium at macgeekgab.com that's right uh you can of course call us the same call in number works uh 206-666-geek although that all does goes to the same place and sometimes stuff gets mixed in but we do we do listen to everything eventually uh, mm-hmm. under a little bit of a backlog lately but we're slowly starting to dig out in fact I think as of a couple of days ago we were dug out so that's and point. for the alphabetically challenged that's four three three five that's right but the alphanumerically challenged right ah, is that what that would yeah, be I don't, I, I don't know I don't know whatever Skype Mac Geek Gab on Skype and uh, I, I think it. that's it We'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this to AAC. And, of course, Cashfly provides all the bandwidth to get it from, uh, from us to you. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. We, gotta, uh, we, gotta, we, get to, we got to roll now. 
I think we're back with another premium show next week. If I'm not, if I, we I, are. I look at the calendar. I think that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As always, thank you so much. Yeah. We love doing this. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. And the only thing I'll say, Dave, yeah. is you can't listen to us if you get caught. Made up.